This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. As we uh, discuss some of the chapters in Joko's uh, latest collection of talks, one of the themes that uh, I think we will want to return to over and over again is the question, the nature of effort in, in practice. We talk a lot about no gain, and I think it's all too easy to fall into a kind of mistaken idea that if there's nothing to gain, we don't have to make any particular kind of effort. We're not trying to get somewhere or accomplish something. What's the point of effort? But Zen has always been a practice that has required great effort. It's just that our notions of that over the years may change or need refining. Part of what I think Joko's whole project has been is to give new dimensions to our idea of uh, what counts as effort in Zen practice. And one of the ways, of course, that she's doing that is to look at sort of micro-effort, all the little moment-to-moment efforts of attention that we can make in the midst of our everyday life. But my own experience of working with Joko uh, took place uh, almost entirely in the context of long, week-long sessions. I did spend other time out there, uh, but most of my time with her was in session. At session uh, exemplifies uh, what she calls uh, cutting off the escape but in a very literal kind of way. Uh, her sessions were very traditional and very rigorous by our standards. Many hours of sitting starting before dawn and going late into the night. 
And there was uh, clearly the admonition that we were there to sit every period, sit completely still, don't move, even if that meant enduring a uh, great deal of physical pain. What the effort was in those sessions looked uh, as if it was very obvious. You really had to make this physical effort to do that kind of practice, that sitting. It was uh, about endurance and fortitude, uh, really making that effort to just sit still, to hold your posture. It was a physical, it was like a physical task. Uh, it was, the, you know, the kind of effort you make uh, hiking up a mountain. Now, I think that one of the ways she taught during those sessions was to try to emphasize that physical endurance and sitting with physical pain uh, to be of any value had to translate into a capacity to sit with emotional pain, emotional discomfort. It was a practice of no escape or non-avoidance, but it meant facing your thoughts and your feelings, as well as uh, dealing with what was going on on your knees and your back and your ankles. And traditionally, the problem with that kind of practice was that people got good at the physical mastery and created a great deal of physical toughness and endurance, but dissociated from the uh, psychological and the emotional. And so I think her emphasis on practicing in everyday life tried to make sure we got the point that it's enduring our own thoughts and feelings that's the real point of practice. Enduring having our core beliefs or core strategies momentarily disrupted and feeling the underlying anxiety or emotional hurt or psychological emptiness that those things designed to keep it bay. But I think that there's no denying that for many people, the sheer physical rigor of those old-fashioned sessions provided a, a very little literal experience of cutting off escape, of simply having 
to stay with whatever was happening. I think that in some ways it's a shame that I've not been able to provide a little more of that to students over the years. And though it's a little bit hard to uh, make too many plans uh, these COVID times, uh, we are going to try to uh, have a week-long more traditional session next su summer, uh, co-led by Karen Chisano, who has got much more experience leading those kinds of sessions than I do, and she'll come over and help run that. I hope that'll be able to have that happen next year. The other kind of effort um, that we should bear in mind that was uh, traditionally taught was the, the effort of meticulous attention. This is the attention to ritual and posture and form. how we comport ourselves in the zendo and out. Do we take care of each little detail as if it, doing that was the main thing of our practice? How we straighten the cushions, leave everything in in place, how we put our shoes in the shoe rack, how we clean up after the sitting, how we practice orioki. Orioki might be one of the ways that we've tried to hold on to some of that kind of attention through ritual at OMZ where we do this formal ritual style of eating just to give ourselves both the experience of paying attention and the experience of how we feel when we're, we feel awkward and not quite knowing what we're doing. That it's a sort of complicated alien way of doing things that we haven't quite mastered. We don't do it enough to feel that it's second nature. And so we have to watch what it's like to feel foolish or make a mistake or get corrected. All that was part of uh, her idea of practice. In our Jukai training, learning those rituals and paying attention to them is sort of one way we talk about bringing practice off the cushion and into life and into the life of the Sangha. Uh, it can be very valuable 
to realize that practice isn't just something taking place between our ears or uh, even in our knees, but practice is how we relate to others, how we serve the Sangha, how we handle things. Joko always used to use the example of whether people during the break in Seshin, when they were sitting outside around the tables in the gardens, whether they, when they got up, they made sure to put their chairs back in place under the, uh, the table. And so that became something, you know, once she said that, everybody became self-conscious about that. You know, the chairs were very neat, but then what did you do with your coffee cup or how you put your shoes away or things like that? She thought those were the markers of a mature student, not just what was happening on the cushion. So you've got sort of on one hand, a kind of endurance as right effort. Another hand, we've got this kind of meticulous attention as a different kind of, of effort. But a third way I think that we think about effort is simply the effort of showing up, showing up in the moment to ourselves over and over again. And this is the one that, in a sense, is the simplest, in some ways the easiest, but in the long run, the most important, if it is the way practice is going to enter into our daily life. I used to say that when you come to Sashin, the most important thing is simply taking that first step, entering, like stepping onto an escalator. Once you've made that step, it carries you along. What you have to do is simply be willing to experience where it takes you. When we sit every day like this, I've likened it to just showing up in front of a mirror every day. In a certain sense, the mirror is doing all the work. Your effort is to sit there and sort of unblinkingly look at what shows up in the mirror. And part of what shows up, as Joko would point out over and over again, is our looking away from the mirror, constantly trying to distract ourselves from what appears, what we, because there's all sorts of things we don't particularly want to look at. And so the first thing we have to see and be honest about is our avoidance our willingness to distract ourselves, our desire to daydream or just pass the time as a way to 
sort of skirt over the, or skim over the surface of things. We can spend a lot of time on the cushion just uh, daydreaming or distracting ourselves. And maybe we give ourselves a few virtue points for just showing up and logging a certain number of hours. And then we can feel like, oh, well, I'm doing my duty as a Zen student. I'm putting in my hour every day. But if we put in an, an hour of daydreaming, it may be that that practice um, will get pretty stale after a while. And at that point, we either quit or we realize, well, maybe there's something more to this than just uh, daydreaming an hour away. Maybe I have to pay some attention to what those daydreams are trying to keep out of my awareness. What is the feeling I have if I'm not distracting myself? That background quiet may feel frighteningly empty. It might feel like it's in danger of being flooded with thoughts I don't like having, that I don't like to think of myself as a kind of person who's always making judgments, always preoccupied about sex or money, worried about the next thing I'm supposed to be doing in the day, just endlessly making lists or being busy. Maybe all that shows up and it's, we don't particularly want to have that self-image. See, I think that the main effort at that point in practice is the effort of emotional honesty. To stay with all the aspects of ourselves that we wish practice would make go away. I think that 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 kind of practice, in contrast to the kinds of practice that uh, lead to a sense of mastery, could be very humbling. You know, you can start feeling very good about yourself if you can sit 14 hours a day without moving, be really strong and tough, and get proud of that. If you learn how to wear and fold in a okesa. You learn all the ins and outs of Japanese temple ritual. You become a master of orioki. Be proud of all of that. You can create an identity. Ah, Zen student. Now, this, this is uh, the person I've always wanted to be. And indeed, you may be developing uh, very good habits and actual virtues in the process of, of doing that. Those, that is not nothing. 
but there's a whole other dimension to practice that isn't about mastery and it isn't about doing things that we can be proud of. It's about allowing ourselves to be honest and vulnerable and keep making the effort not to distract ourselves, not to turn away, but to look over and over again about what's really in the mirror. <laughs>